We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a brand new football season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. The one thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash blue wire to sign up this year. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when you're creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I can only imagine that it would be just a rush of emotions, uh, something just unbelievable, something that you've been dreaming for your whole entire life. Uh, I dream of that moment every every time I've watched NFL drafts, NBA draft. You always dream of, of, of your phone ringing and picking it up and a team on, on the other line saying they're going to pick you. So I haven't experienced it yet, but I, I can only imagine that the feeling is, is like no other. The 11th pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the Phoenix Suns select. Cameron Johnson from the University of North Carolina.
Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Another great off-season episode for you guys. We keep lucking out with these excellent guests. Um, of course, my name is Mike V. Hill. I'm the host of this podcast. And joining me, the co-host of this podcast, Sam Cooper. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Let's get into it. I am excited, I should say, uh, for the guests we have today. Uh, the other stuff we're going to talk about is the epitome of August content, but we'll get through it. <laughs> we, ha- we have to talk about it somehow. Devin Booker became a national basketball story for making a joke about a double team in a pickup <laughs> game. And now, uh, as I was saying to Sam earlier, we were talking about this. It's actually required that you make an opinion about this on Twitter now. I think they delete your Twitter account if you don't <laughs> if you don't <laughs> describe exactly how you feel about being double teamed in a pickup game. Um, for those who don't know the story, uh, Devin Booker was running a pickup game um, that was posted online by, I believe the account was called Swish Culture or something like that. Uh, and basically, there's a couple NBA players that are in there. Tony Snell, I saw Joakim Noah, Ben Simmons, uh, missing somebody, Taj Gibson. I find it interesting, by the way. Tony Snell, Taj Gibson, Joakim Noah all get together and play on pickup uh, in pickup games together in the offseason, just kind of reliving those <laughs> old Bulls teams together. Like, remember when Thibodeau said that one thing to us? Uh, but anyway, well, they're all playing against each other. They double, they hard double teamed. I think this is important. This is not help defense. I realized the nuance of the difference between help defense and a hard double team is lost on a lot of people on Twitter. It was a trap in the corner on Devin Booker who immediately was not ready for it clearly and said, oh, we're doubling here. I'm just trying to work on my game. And Joakim Noah, in perfect Joakim Noah character, said, oh, yeah, we're double teaming. <laughs> it's part of the game, which, <laughs> which I actually really enjoyed. I really like Joakim Noah. The video game villain that he is. Yeah. <laughs> like a programmed response from a CPU. I really wish, you know, Joakim Noah, I actually think there is a place for him in the NBA on the right team. I know that there's rumors that he might go to the Lakers. That makes no sense for me. Uh, I, I think, like, if he played with the Warriors, I think that would be interesting with the guy, his skill set, good passing, good at setting screens, rebounding, and, you know, maybe not quite the defender he used to be, uh, but, you know, still could possibly defend bigs. Um, yeah, I just miss Joakim Noah, so I thought that was a great... Joakim Noah to get in the headlines in the offseason is fun in for any reason, basically. And when I first saw it, I thought it was funny. My initial reaction was, this is funny, Devin Booker calling out a double team because people just don't really double team in pickup games. It's just not something that you normally do. And um, somehow it turned into a referendum on his competitiveness (laughs) and his ability to be a leader. Uh, People were calling him a prick. (laughs) People were saying all kinds. One person called him a prick, (laughs) and that person is a prick, and they said a lot more. (laughs) Basically, everyone was like, now's my chance to fire off some hot takes on Devin Booker and really knock him down from that pedestal that he's not really on at all. Um, So I guess my first question for you, Sam, is it okay to double in a pickup game? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry if that disappoints you, Suns fans. There's got to be some nuance to this conversation, okay? It's definitely fine to double, even a hard double or a trap, whatever, in a pickup game, uh, and you just got to beat it. Where I have a problem is where this has become, you know, all of these people flooding in who obviously haven't watched Devin Booker, as you were saying, Mike, come, come in with those hard stances on a player that they don't really know and build up these straw man arguments about a player that, you know, they that lacks competitiveness is just a wannabe Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, can't pass out of the double team when obviously if you've watched the guy play for the past couple of years, you know, that's not true. Uh, So yeah, I don't know, man, the whole thing's stupid. I just think it's amazing that we made Joakim Noah relevant again for a few (laughs) seconds. You give, you give the people 
a two minute video of Booker just unloading on people, uh, you know, offensive highlights. And, and then we're going to focus in on a three second clip of Joakim Noah's ass to bring it back to relevancy for for a brief period in the offseason is pretty funny to me. Uh, but yeah, to answer your original question, it's definitely OK to double uh, books. Just got to beat it. But I took it as him talking trash and nothing more. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought was funny about it is if a player is doing anything incredible in in a in a video in the offseason everyone's like like yeah they're an nba player they're supposed to be amazing but as soon as they make a joke they everyone all of a sudden takes it super seriously <laughs> this is the most important thing that's ever been said in an offseason workout video everyone has to have an opinion on it and i just think it's funny that the, there's a double standard of if he looks amazing which by the way the highlights are incredible he looks amazing right now and i know he did this last year too but this is something different the way that his handles are working around screens or even just on a one-on-one is unlike anything I've seen from Devin Booker before, and it really excites me for what he's doing. And, and I know just just like the conversation about whether or not you can double, which I think is just not, it's an unwritten rule. Here's Actually, I should, I should sh- share my opinion on that too. You can double in a, in a pickup game. You can absolutely double, especially if you watch what Devin Booker was doing to them before that. It actually makes sense to double. If there's just a guy destroying you, you're going to throw everything at them. But you shouldn't. It's it's just not something that normally happens in a pickup game. It's just a bizarre thing to do. Uh, help defense is different. I, I saw a lot of people saying, well, what is Joe Kim Noah supposed to do in a pickup game if he can't play help defense? Help defense is different. If you get beat, you can help you can help in that scenario. Trapping when you're when you're playing with randoms is a kind of a weird thing to do because you just have to all of a sudden give up the ball to people that you're not used to playing with. And that's a little weird, I think, for a pickup game. Overall, I think the entire I don't thing. Know, man. <laughs> overall, I, it's a I lot think... like LeBron dunk, LeBron dunking at his son's game that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's just all of it doesn't really matter at all, and it's just because we have nothing to talk about, right? What would PJ Tucker do? <laughs> well, PJ Tucker wouldn't what, wait, need wait, to look, double team. Well, no, but if he saw one of his teammates struggling to contain a guy who was going off, the way I see it, you do what you can do to win the game. I like to. I, I brought up PJ Tucker because he just epitomizes, you know, hustle. He. I'd like to imagine PJ Tucker playing pickup basketball uh, in the summer. Well, actually, he's playing with Team USA, um, or at least was practicing with them. But I like to think that PJ Tucker would immediately go for that double team. He would put everything on the floor. He would force the offense to beat him. Uh, I'm putting, you know, all of this on PJ Tucker without actually knowing what his real <laughs> stance is. I like to think that he's on my side here. Uh, you know, Booker overreacted, but. He's still a fantastic offensive talent. He's not a prick, as some people say. He's, you know, he's an incredibly competitive player who wants to win with the Suns. He's a very good passer out of double teams. Let's be clear. A very, very good passer for a young non-point guard has incredible playmaking abilities. Uh, and, and that's the other thing that frustrates me here is just this narrative that won't die about Booker being an empty calorie scorer. I think what people don't really take into this when they give their opinions on it is when you get to the gym... When you're working on stuff, there's there's two different types of, of, of working out to me. There's pickup games where you're just playing pickup game, the flow of the game. And there's times where I get to the gym and I say, I'm working on my three-point shot today and I'm only going to shoot three-point jumpers and I'm going to do everything I can to try and work on that today. And I think a lot of times these players go into an off-season workout like that and they say they're going to focus on one thing. This is what I need to improve on this summer and this is what I'm going to get good at going into the season next year. And what they don't think about when they're watching these clips is that that's likely what Devin Booker was doing. I want to work on attacking off the dribble. I want to work on isolation, getting to the rim or whatever it was. I'm not sure. It looked like handles to me. That's what he's been working on this year. And, and pull up threes. He was shooting a lot of pull up threes. 
And when you have something that throws uh, throws it in your face like that and changes it, you do have to react. You do have to just change your game. But I could see someone just out of frustration, frustration saying, okay, is this going to be the rest of my workout? I'm just going to have to pass and stand in the corner because you're going to trap me every time I have the ball. That's no fun. I'm not, that's not what I'm here to actually work on my game. I'm not here to pass out of a double team and stand in the corner and watch Tony Snell drive. <laughs> you know, that's not why I'm here. Uh, so I, I understand it from both perspectives, but overall, I think the dumbest part is the fact that everyone had to have an opinion on it and had to make it uh, just, just an overall career story about Devin Booker and how, uh, who he is and what he is as, a, as an NBA player is now reflected in a three-second video of him making a joke about a double team. It's all very bizarre. It's bizarre and stupid, but like I said, it's the epitome of August content. And it's not just Devin Booker. I want to be fair to him um, or I want to be fair to the situation because there are other players. Ben Simmons, for instance, posted a workout video or I think Bleacher Report posted a video of him working out the other day saying he was expanding his offensive game or doing some clickbait caption as they tend to do uh, that did not include uh, Ben Simmons shooting a three. And so, of course, people immediately go into the comments and, you know, they clown the guy. And I just think overall, you know, you look at that experience, you look at Booker's experience. I would caution players in general about why are you posting these videos on social media in the first place? One guy's take, I don't think he was subtweeting Booker or anything, but Damian Lillard took to Twitter the other day and he said, you won't see me posting Instagram highlights of myself during the summer. That doesn't mean I'm not in the gym working. And I think that's something to remember as Suns fans as well. Like that's something we've questioned DeAndre Ayton on in the past. Is it concerning that DeAndre Ayton doesn't have more of a social media presence? I think absolutely not. Just because, you know, Booker is going off on these guys. A lot of times when you post that online, as these trolls are evidencing, it's more trouble than it's worth. And, you know, maybe you should just be quiet, show up in November, do your business and, you know, let your play speak for itself. I think there's two things on that, I think. One, Devin Booker's from a slightly different generation than Damian Lillard. He's probably almost 10 years younger than him. And two, Damian Lillard has series-winning shots in the NBA. Nobody is questioning Damian Lillard's work ethic at this point in his career. He's proven himself to be a guy that will come back every year better and improve his team going forward. He's he's basically an all-star MVP in, in MVP consideration for the last few years, halfway through the season. Whereas Devin Booker is a guy who is constantly criticized. People are constantly attacking him. People are constantly questioning whether or not he can win with a team and whether or not what he provides on the court actually contributes to winning. So I think from his perspective, these workouts videos are him saying, I am working on my game. I am improving and I'm tired of the bullshit. So I actually understand (laughs) why a player like Devin Booker would want these out there so that people stop questioning his work ethic or his ability to to improve or contribute to a winning team um but i think we've probably talked about it enough right i'm not sure if there's anything else to say isn't that what kelly Oubre's hashtag shh means tired (laughs) of the bullshit yeah i mean it's it's essentially a workaround way of saying shut the fuck up you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) but but you're not allowed to say that on twitter to the fans that's pretty much what it means and the whole team is taken to it for a reason uh but yeah that's basically all i have to say about the whole topic uh I don't know, blown out of proportion as usual. Uh, we didn't officially give a cold take of the week to, uh, what's his name? I mean, you, you're you really the one who went off on Twitter today, so I wanted to give you that opportunity if you <laughs> thought it was necessary. But if if the airtime isn't worth it, then... Well, here's the thing. Uh, I don't want to single out one single person because there were so many bad takes coming from all different directions <laughs> <laughs> that it's actually really hard to... Uh, to single out any specific person. Some of them are worse or even 
weirder than others. But I think there were just so many bad takes that I don't I don't think anyone deserves to be singled out here. They're all bad uh, overall, unless you say this was funny and it was fun to watch. The one thing I like about the Devin Booker videos particular, in particular is that the cameraman, whoever's filming it, which is, how do I get that job? Um, they're right up next to the players. And what I think is cool about that is compared to actual footage that we see from games, you know, NBA footage, uh, really the only time where we get to see these NBA players really up close, like where they're being filmed right next to their bodies is in the summer. And it really makes you appreciate the quickness, the speed, the agility, and, and you, you really get a better, a more clear picture of how fast these guys are because you can't really get that the further and further back you get. When you're really up close, you, you can really appreciate that quick twitch athleticism uh, with Devin Booker or even any of the other guys. Uh, you know, uh, Ben Simmons was another guy that had some awesome highlights. Kelly Uri, we talked about it. J. Cole, of course. <laughs> you can really appreciate <laughs> J. Cole's quick twitch athleticism. <laughs> you know, a guy that's 10 years older than Devin Booker <laughs> still balling with these guys. Um, but let's talk about what this episode is actually going to be about. And that is Brad Frederick and Cam Johnson. So Brad Frederick is the assistant coach of the UNC Tar Heels, one of a few assistant coaches for that team. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of rules surrounding these guys. So he's one of the few guys that actually gets to interact and instruct players directly. So we had an awesome opportunity. Uh, he, he agreed to come on and talk about Cameron Johnson and about his time. He's not just a coach. He also played on a team. We're going to talk to him about Vince Carter and his time playing with Vince Carter. He was on that final four team when Vince Carter played for the Tar Heels as well. Uh, so he's got a lot of interesting insight to that. I'm really excited to have Brad. And I know, I know you're excited too, Sam, right? Super excited. And uh, as you can tell by the natural enthusiasm in my voice, uh, <laughs> very excited that Brad agreed to come on. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, we talked about Ty in depth. So I thought it was only fair that we devote the same attention to Cam. Uh, and I think it's interesting, actually, the timing of this, at least a little bit, because the rookie survey came out a couple of days ago where they ask all the rookies a bunch of questions about which rookies are the best at this or the best at that. And all of them vote on certain things. And at least some good news for the Suns is, uh, you know, Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson were both right up there in the top five list for who is the best shooter in this class. Uh, so, you know, there are skills that they have that are very, very respected by their peers. That doesn't mean that those always translate to immediate NBA playing ability, but I think they're two very high character guys. And you, the more we talk to people about both of these guys, Ty Jerome and Cameron Johnson, the more you can just see and piece together James Jones and the Suns front office strategy on draft night and uh, why they made the selections they made. So hopefully you hear Coach Frederick out. He was fantastic. Sam, before we get to that, I have to ask you, what do you think of the rookie survey? Because <laughs> I was looking at these results and it's kind of bizarre. Like Zion Williamson it only got 35% of the votes for rookie of the year. He had some of the votes for best shooter. Like somebody actually voted. You know what for I think? Okay. That was RJ. That was, I tweeted that out. That was definitely <laughs> RJ. There's no way anyone, uh, cause I assume you can't vote for yourself. Uh, so RJ is just fucking with us there, but Cam Reddish I think best career. Number one. That honestly also might've been a joke. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I believe that the players actually think Cam Reddish is good, given that they were up close and personal watching him brick threes all season long. Not to mention layups. Guy shot 35% from the field. Um, neither here nor there. What I want to say about Zion is a lot of it might be envy. You know, right. uh, this guy has gotten a level of 
not unprecedented because we saw LeBron James, but a level of hype at the college and high school level for the past couple of years that we haven't seen out of a prospect in a long time. And so a lot of guys, I don't know, I mean, this is just me guessing, but they might be like, screw that, dude, you know, I'm going to vote for the underdog here if I have to choose who I think is going to be the best. Yeah, I just I look at some of the results and I'm like, are these guys watching different games than me? You know, Devin Booker actually also got votes for uh, the favorite player in the league, which was interesting. He was the fifth. Mo- so he did was Steve tied Nash. to James Harden. <laughs> Steve Nash, Ty Jerome voted for Steve Nash. That's hilarious. Yeah, I can't believe we buried that this far <laughs> and haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk to his dad about Steve Nash and then he voted for him. So um, I'd like to think we had some influence on that, of course. <laughs> that's a good way to pander uh, to Suns fans is, is pick a guy. First of all, he's not even in the league. That's that's the question. Who's your favorite player in the league? And uh, he still picked <laughs> Steve Nash. He's not even in the league. He's been retired for years. Um, so shout out to him there. Um, so we'll switch over, of course, to Brad Frederick. He's going to talk about Cameron Johnson. We all know about Cameron Johnson. Best shooter out of the draft. That's what everyone talked to him about. We're going to get some more insight as to what kind of player he is, what kind of man he is, and what he's going to look like with the Suns going forward. For those who don't know, just a basic breakdown of Cam Johnson's uh, college career. He he started at Pitt, and he redshirted his freshman year due to an injury. He graduated in three years, which was two years of eligibility played at Pitt, and then he was a grad transfer to UNC, and he started at UNC the same year that Brad Frederick started as an assistant coach at UNC. So these guys, their careers were tied. Uh, the two years that Brad was an assistant coach were the two years that Cam Johnson played uh, with UNC. So he has a lot of really interesting insight into Cam Johnson. It sounds like it was one of the first players that he worked with as an assistant coach for the Tar Heels. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Um, We'll get to it right after these ads and you'll get to hear some awesome information about Cam Johnson. If shaving is a terrible experience for you, we've got you covered at Blue Wire. Our podcast network is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the low-quality razors from convenience stores. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Sign up today. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Remember, harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for $3. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. 
Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with the doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Very excited about this. Joining us is Brad Frederick. Brad Frederick is the assistant coach of the UNC Tar Heels for the men's basketball team. Of course, the assistant coach for Cameron Johnson, our draft pick. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Very excited to have you. So your career has been interesting. You've basically been involved with basketball your entire life, starting with, and your entire adult life, I should say, starting with you actually playing for the UNC Tar Heels and being on a very interesting team that went to the Final Four. And then you coached for a long time with Vanderbilt. You returned to Carolina, and now you're an assistant coach with the team that you actually got to play for. That must be a pretty awesome thing to actually be able to come back to your alma mater and coach with the UNC Tar Heels after playing with them in the Final Four when you were in college. Yeah, it was an unbelievable uh, opportunity for me. Played is probably a strong word for what I did. I was on the team uh, (laughs) for the most part. (laughs) We had a stacked team in 1997 and 1998. Um, Antoine Jameson, Vince Carter, uh, Shaman Williams, Ed Coda. Uh, Maktar Jairmo, Kalaja. We had a great team those two years. Went to the Final Four in 97 and got beat by Arizona. And I thought we had the best team in 98. Um, we lost in the Final Four in San Antonio to Utah. Got upset in 1998. But I uh, had a chance to play with, with Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson, of course, two guys who will be uh, – you know, future NBA Hall of Famers, two guys scored 20,000 points in the pros. And and so it was just a great experience. But um, I went to Carolina because I had some opportunities to play at smaller level, but I wanted to get into coaching. And Dean Smith was the coach at the time in North Carolina. And, of course, a legendary coach who had um, an unbelievable track record of success. So I wanted to get into coaching, and I thought Carolina would be a great place. I knew Roy Williams from – I grew up in Kansas and knew him from that time, and he had even recommended North Carolina. So it was a great for me. Um, I had 14 years at Vanderbilt, which was another great experience, but I was thrilled when Coach Williams called me uh, six years ago and and invited me back to Carolina. And uh, so the last six years have been great, and I'm looking forward to more to come. You know, I just have to quickly ask about Vince Carter. Sure. Vince Carter played for the Suns briefly, uh, which it's kind of crazy to think about almost 10 years now. And at the time with the way that he was playing, there was some talk around the town of of not knowing how much Vince Carter had left in the tank in the NBA at that point. How crazy right. is it to still see one of your former teammates at UNC still playing in the NBA to this day, still in that physical shape where he can play professional basketball even now? It's unbelievable. So I'm 42, and <clears throat> Vincent, we're same age class-wise, um, and I think Vince is either 41 or 42 is him himself. And just the fact that he's still going, I I, I struggle uh, getting up in the morning and stretching and, and all that <laughs> stuff to, just to go running and uh, to, to see Vince do what he what he's done. Uh, you know, we were even talking about it recently with Antoine. Uh, Antoine Jameson, of course, had a long, lengthy NBA career, and I think he's been done now for either four or five years, and he's amazed uh, that Vince is still going and and actually still playing well. So uh, it's a credit to him. I mean, he's always had an unbelievable uh, body, but 
to be able to stay in shape, stay healthy uh, all this time and keep going is really amazing. Do you have any specific memories of being on that team? I mean, what it must have been crazy to be on a team with basically one of the most athletic players that's ever played in the NBA. And of course, Antoine Jameson, who who ended up having, like you said, a long career, likely Hall of Fame guys, both of those guys. Uh, do you have any specific memories about that team? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think most people uh, may not be familiar with the team now. It's been, you know, almost 20 plus years. But um, Antoine was a much more celebrated college player. Uh, he won all of the National Player of the Year awards in the 98 season. Uh, just had an incredible year and, and he actually had more success than Vince early on in his career. But all of us that practiced every day knew that they were both going to be great players, but we really thought Vince had something special just because of how athletic he was. Uh, took Vince a little bit longer uh, on the defensive end, and that was <clears throat> one thing that held him back early in his in his freshman season. He didn't play as much now. You know, that's another thing I think about all the time. In, in this day and age, if you had a talent like Vince Carter and he didn't start his freshman year, can you imagine – you know, what the social media reaction would be like. Um, but, you know, those guys were at Carolina for three years, which is another thing that, you know, is very rare nowadays with people that have that much success in college to be around for three years. So um, that, you know, that was an unbelievable team. And and our, uh, in the 97 season, you know, we lost to an Arizona team that also had a ton of NBA players and uh, Mike Bibby, Jason Terry, um, you know, those type of guys. So uh, the collection of talent was was incredible. But for me personally, you know, I got a chance, um, what we call our blue team, which is, you know, the guys that don't play as much. So we would go against those guys every day. And uh, being 6'5", myself, I, I played kind of the two through four. So uh, I could at one point be matching up against Jamal Williams, who had a long career in the NBA. I had, could be guarding Vince Carter. I could be guarding Antoine Jameson. So it was kind of murderer's row as far as going up against those guys. But um, I got I got dunked on by Vince, you know, almost every day. And, and very early on, <laughs> I said, you know, there's really nothing to worry about because I see him dunking on Tim Duncan and all these guys. And so um, I told people when Vince, when Vince was a rookie, um, well, it was my f- first year out of uh, college and I was on staff at Vanderbilt. And I said, I'll take Vince versus the field, and I guarantee he's going to win the dunk contest. And that was the iconic dunk contest where, uh, you know, he kind of stamped his his mark as one of the premier dunkers in the NBA. And and so just a thrill to play with those guys and and um, both of them and everybody else on that team was was just absolutely great guys. And then, of course, the chance to play for Dean Smith, too, was something special. So after a memorable playing career, you basically immediately shifted over to the coaching side of things. You worked with Kevin Stallings at Vanderbilt, who's a great coach, for over a decade. Uh, and then, like you said, you returned with Roy Williams to UNC. First, not as an assistant coach, but you spent four years as a director of basketball operations. Uh, from a fan perspective, I think a lot of us might not know exactly what goes into that. So could you describe that role, maybe compare it to your duties as assistant coach a little bit and just what goes on in the day-to-day for your first four years there when you returned to UNC? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, even when I when I made the move, I was an assistant at Vanderbilt, um, and I was actually the longest uh, tenured assistant in the SEC. I was there uh, 14 years. And, and so, um, but the chance to come back to Carolina, come back to my alma mater, 
uh, chance to work with Coach Williams, of course, who's an unbelievable coach, and uh, met my wife here in Chapel Hill at school. And so just a chance to come back to Chapel Hill was something special. And I thought at the time uh, that they had a staff where uh, somebody could move up. And uh, C.B. McGrath ultimately left after four years to take the Wilmington job. And, you know, I had I'd hoped maybe that would happen faster, but it was still great. Um, the, you know, the biggest difference, obviously, from the director of operations to being an assistant coach is uh, as an assistant coach, you can recruit. And as assistant coach, you can be on the floor working with players. Uh, so as a director of operations, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes work I could uh, have input in the coaching staff meetings, have input to the coaches, you know, do film breakdown, do scouting breakdown, but could never directly instruct the players. So it, it is a different position. Um, but, you know, it was still for me a, a great chance to be around a Hall of Fame coach in Roy Williams, an unbelievable staff. Uh, Steve Robinson has been with Coach Williams for 25 years. Hubert Davis played 12 years in the NBA. Uh, an outstanding guy. So just a chance to be around the staff. C.B. McGrath had been with Coach for a long time, too. So um, we have a great staff. Like right now, uh, outside of myself, we still have Steve Robinson and Hubert Davis on staff. But um, we also have other guys who are not in uh, coaching roles but are on our staff and huge contributors. Sean May is with us, Carolina hmm. Gray, who uh, was – you know, uh, the best player in 2005 and led Carolina to a national championship. Kendall Marshall, who was drafted by the Suns, uh, mm-hmm. is on our staff too. And so just a chance to be around those guys every day uh, makes it special. But it is a little bit of an adjustment, um, you know, going from being on the floor every day with the players to, to being kind of more behind the scenes. So I was thrilled uh, as actually we were in Phoenix, Arizona in, in 2017 for the Final Four when we won the national championship over Gonzaga and C.B. McGrath had um, just been hired as the UNC Wilmington coach uh, during the Final Four. And so I thought at the time that I might have an opportunity to move up. And uh, I remember sitting in the hotel, the Kempton Hotel in downtown Phoenix, and uh, we had a meeting after we had beaten Oregon in the semifinal of the Final Four. And I saw that uh, Cameron Johnson was transferring from Pitt, and I thought we we had a good chance that Justin Jackson, who was a junior at the time, would go pro. And I thought, uh, you know, here's a guy who he had played great against us in the Smith Center, made a ton of threes. And I thought if we had an opportunity to recruit Cam, uh, he would be a great fit for us. And so uh, that was kind of the very first thing I did. I hadn't even been named assistant coach yet, but kind of the very first thing I did was start focusing in on Cam. Uh, and, of course, you know, we were fortunate to to land him, and, and he had a great two years for us. Cameron had a really interesting career. Even, you know, out of high school, he was 6'2 as a junior. Now he's a 6'9 forward. And, of course, he went to Pitt. He redshirted his freshman year due to injury, and then he transferred after two more years, which basically was three years at Pitt where he got his bachelor's degree and was able to transfer after some weird uh, chicanery. He was able to play <laughs> right, at UNC. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and basically his arrival at UNC, obviously just as you described, lined up with you uh, finally being able to coach uh, with your alma mater. What was your initial impression when you finally got to be around him and really got to coach him? I was talking to Sam before we started recording. I was just saying it really seems like coaches love Cameron Johnson. Every coach that talks about him seems to really love him. 
What was your impression of him when you finally got to be around him and coach him? So, like like you said, there was a lot of um, initial um, roadblocks in us recruiting Cam because we were another ACC school. And so uh, it was kind of a long recruiting process. Uh, but once we finally were able to, to get Cam um, to where we could talk to him on the phone, where we could bring him to campus for an official visit, uh, we brought him to campus not knowing whether or not he would be cleared to play right away. And, um, you know, just in talking to Cam over the phone and talking to his father, Gil, who had played at Pitt, um, you know, you can just tell right away what an unbelievable kid he was. And uh, having worked, uh, for me personally, having worked with Coach Stallings for 14 years at Vanderbilt, he was at Pitt. Uh, I knew their staff at Pitt, and they all had great things to say about what a great kid Cam was. And so um, that part that part was easy, but um, you know when you first meet him and 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 you talk to him, you're instantly impressed by um, you know what a great kid he is, what an outstanding student he is. I mean, there are a lot of grad transfers these days, but there are not that many who graduate in three years on their own. Um, and that was what was so special for us about uh, getting Cam was not only was he a grad transfer who could come in and help us. But he was a grad transfer who come in and play two years for us. And so, um, you know, when we got Cam, you know, there was some consideration. I think that people thought he might have a chance to be an NBA player. Um, but I don't think many people thought he would be, you know, just there for one year. So, um, again, the chance to have him for two years was great. But that that is that is besides Cam being an outstanding basketball player. I mean, that is one of the best things about Cam is he is just an incredible kid. I mean, uh, I tell people all the time, all the NBA teams, you know, when they're doing their um, pre-draft evaluations and they would call and ask about Cam and they always go over, you know, regardless of who they're talking about, they go over, you know, does he any trouble off the court? Is he any trouble um, with partying, with, you know, drinking, with anything like that? And, and Cam is – absolutely zero maintenance. Uh, we never had to check him on class. He graduated, got his graduate degree, uh, in two years, he was an outstanding student. He was a role model for the program that he got. And I also told all those people that if you really want to be impressed by Cam, you should pull up on YouTube, his senior speech that he gave after the Duke game. So all our seniors, it's Carolina tradition, get to speak after our, our senior, uh, game. And, and there have been some great speeches over the years. Marcus Page, uh, Tyler Hansborough come to mind as two people who gave great speeches. But Cam was just off the charts, uh, you know, right after the game, delivered an unbelievable speech, never stuttered, never stammered, uh, looked everybody in the eye. and was just super impressive. And that's what kind of kid Cam is. That's what kind of person he is. So um, I think everybody with the Suns organization is going to find out right away uh, how special he is, and he'll be a great guy in the locker room. He'll be a great guy off the court. He'll be a great guy in the community. Well, and frankly, you're a guy who's coached your fair share of NBA players at this point, or or sorry, college yeah, athletes yeah, who went on to yeah. become NBA players. Between Cam's uh, four years and, and change of college experience, between his experience in the ACC, which is obviously such a tough conference, and playing in games that matter, you know, how would you compare his maturity level to not necessarily guys you've coached in the past, but just to the average NBA prospect, the average rookie uh, entering that league? Yeah, so 
<clears throat> I think that was one thing, you know, when, when we, uh, in talking to Cam and Gil, his father, um, you know, throughout the process, we thought that Phoenix was going to be a, a possible landing spot for him because they had expressed an interest in having somebody who could come in and play right away um, and make an impact right away, not somebody that they had to develop. And, you know, like you said, Cam Cam was a late bloomer. You know, he, he had a growth spurt late. Basically, Pittsburgh was the only um, offer of any magnitude he had um, coming out of high school. And that was mainly because he was a Pittsburgh area kid. His father had played at Pitt. Um, and so, you know, it was something where they took him and thought, well, here's a guy who might develop and Cam just kept getting better. And then when, you know, when we got him, um, he was coming off, uh, some injuries. And so he struggled a little bit his first year in terms of, um, getting, getting healthy and, um, over, you know, the summer before his, his final year of eligibility with us, which was last year. Um, you know, he was able to have surgery on his hips and that made a huge difference for him. And everything we've heard from the doctors has been that the surgery went great and he's only going to continue to get better. So, you know, Cam has, um, kind of a reputation of being hurt, but I think this, uh, surgery on his hips was huge for him. He didn't miss any practices last year. He didn't miss any games. He had one game against Virginia where he he stepped on somebody's foot and went down. Uh, but other than that, he was healthy the whole year. And so he just really had a breakout year last year to where uh, he was unbelievable for us. You know, we had a team that featured, um, you know, a lot of guys, Luke May, who wasn't a draft pick, but uh, was an All-American the year before and a, just an unbelievable college player for us. Uh, Kobe White, who was the seventh pick by the Bulls. Um, you know, Nasir Little, who came off the bench, and and Kenny Williams, who was a solid force, and and Cam was our MVP for the season, and and just you know shot the ball unbelievably well all year long, and I think he averaged, I think he was right around forty six or forty seven percent from three. Um, and what's most impressive about him, as you look at his stats, is that he shot the ball better uh, on the road and on the road in big games. So, uh, you know, we had a uh, great conference last year. Obviously, ACC is strong every year, but we finished tied for the regular season with Virginia. Both of us were 16-2 and two, uh, in the league, and we were 9-0 and 0 on the road, and, and Cam was our leading scorer on the road and shot even a better percentage in road games than he did at home. I think he was, uh, you know, mid-50s from three on the road. So, you know, Cam stepped up in big games. Um, he he also another thing that's super impressive about Cam is that we're an offense that's not designed to run plays. We're more of a freelance. We push the ball hard in transition, um, and we don't call a ton of plays. We don't run a ton of ball screens, and so the points that Cam got were just in the flow of offense. So if you look at um, you know his offensive efficiency numbers. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he wasn't getting plays run for him like some other guys um, that, you know, every time down the court, you're trying to run a play for, you know, the number one scorer with Cam. It just came in the flow of the offense and he's got an unbelievably quick release. Uh, obviously got deep range. And um, again, you go back and look at his big games, whether it be 
against Duke or uh, Virginia or other teams. He just uh, had ability to step up and make and make big time shots. You know, that's interesting that you say that he had a uh, higher percentage of shooting on the road uh, than at home games. That's that's you know, it shows a guy that's able to excel under pressure and it's kind of interesting too with his statistics on catch and shoot three pointers he actually shoots a higher percentage when he's guarded than when he's unguarded as well and you know he's he's six he's tall he's six foot nine and he's a lot of people of course call him the best shooter in the draft that was you know the whole draft process is so derivative we all just like to hear what are they what is their skill what are they best at and that's of course what they talked about with him what's hard with cam johnson for us for guys like sam and i and what we do is finding a comp, like a, a player that he is similar to because generally with guys that are able to shoot lights out like him, they're not that tall. They're usually smaller guys with short arms and they're not able to do a lot of the, the things he can do contested. Have you ever seen a basketball player like Cam Johnson, somebody that's that tall that shoots lights out like that or ever worked with anybody that has similar had a similar skill set? No, not, not uh, you know, not that it was as good a shooter at, at that size. I mean, um, you know, he was he had, didn't have a ton of NBA success, but when I was at Vanderbilt, there was a kid, John Jenkins, who was just a lights out shooter. He he played some years in the NBA, and I think he was with the Knicks last year. But he was six five, and uh, you know, at Carolina, of course, they always talk about Wayne Ellington being um, you know one of the best knockdown shooters in recent memory, Reggie Bullock um, mm-hmm. as well. But both of those guys, like you said, are six five, so it's rare, you know. I mean, um, to be a six nine wing, you know, Luke May made a ton of threes for us, but he was six nine playing either the four or the five, and so I think part of that is just, um, you know, like you said, Cam was six two and had developed guard skills um, and, and could shoot. You know, and then and then caught the growth spurt, and and his stroke has has stayed the same, and and probably gotten better. But you know, besides being a great shooter, Cam Cam does some other things well. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the first thing people think about is is his shooting, but uh, he is a good rebounder. Uh, he's a good passer, and for us, the most you know, obviously shooting is the number one thing, but. He just knows how to play. And so, um, you know, it's not something where, you know, Phoenix is going to get somebody who has to come in and learn how to play. It's not something where, you know, he's going to struggle to pick up offense. You know, Cam's a guy who's got a lot of playing experience, played in multiple offenses. And so he can step in right away and, and should be able to figure out offense right away. Yeah, I, I wanted to give him some credit outside of his shooting because too often that's all that people talk about. Uh, right. His offensive rebounding numbers skyrocketed uh, once he got to UNC. His passing has always been consistent. Uh, it looked, again, just from the numbers that he played the passing lanes uh, a lot more this past season. And, you know, none of this stuff happens by it, itself. Uh, I, I think there was sort of this notion when Cam came to you guys from Pitt that he was just a shooter, but probably you worked in order to, you know, get him to develop all of those skills. So just can you talk a little bit about what was the plan when you first saw Cam, uh, you know, two years ago and how you really wanted to develop those skills out of him? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the biggest thing for Cam in terms of growth was just, you know, getting healthy. Like I said, um, he he lacked mobility. And so our strength and conditioning coach, Jonas Serration, our trainer, Doug Halverson, 
Uh, they did a great job working with him, and Cam was extremely dedicated. Uh, he is a he is a hard worker. Being a graduate student is certainly easier uh, from an under than being an undergraduate student as, as far as time uh, management. But Cam spent hours upon hours down in our facility uh, working on his game, working on his flexibility, working on his strength, and I think that made a huge difference for him. Um, and then I think the other thing was, you know, when we got him, uh, Coach Williams told him, we don't want you to just be a shooter. You know, we want you to grow your game. Uh, we want you to be an all-around complete player. And and so, uh, again, I think that's part of just the way we play. I mean, what we – Coach has always encouraged is guys to be awesome offensive rebound. Every year our numbers are up in the top five in the country in terms of going to the offensive boards. And so that was an area of Cam's game that can improve just by something that we emphasize. But um, he did work a ton. And even coming off his surgery uh, last summer, um, he worked a ton. He worked with our coaches every day. He worked uh, with Hubert Davis every day on his shot. And it's just something that just kept continuing to grow and grow. And I think uh, the biggest thing for him was just – you know, the the surgery allowed him to be more of an athlete and to get lower. He became a better defender. Um, and that's something that just, I think, again, everything we hear from the doctors is something that only continue to get better. And, you know, Cam surprised people with his athleticism. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll drive in and, and dunk on people, had some impressive dunks throughout the season, but nobody ever really thinks of Cam that way because everybody just thinks of him as a shooter, but he, he can do other things. Now, it sounds like it didn't surprise you that the Suns were the team that picked Cam, uh, but it did surprise Kobe White. Right. <laughs> there was that great reaction from the draft. <laughs> were you watching the draft and uh, did you were you surprised where he was picked? And, and of, course, did, of course, I'm sure at this point you saw Kobe White's reaction and what did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we expected uh, the Phoenix to be interested. Um, you know, other teams were really interested. I, I know, you know, a couple of them had talked to us, and I think most of us thought that uh, our staff thought that it would be somewhere between fifteen and thirty. And so, uh, I was definitely a little bit surprised that it was eleven. I was ecstatic that it was eleven, but um, you know, like everybody else, I was tipped off on Twitter that he was going to be drafted uh, before it was announced <laughs> on TV. So uh, I made sure that uh, I got my family in front of the TV to watch. And and it was just awesome to see. I mean, you know, Cam uh, wasn't even invited to the green room. And so he was at home with his family. And I think, you know, he said that was a, a better experience for him to be around his friends and family when he got drafted. But, you know, Kobe, Kobe – um, couple things about the Kobe reaction. One is, you know, a little bit of it was surprise, but uh, Kobe is just one of those guys who's just generally excited for his teammates at all times. He took more happiness throughout the season and seeing his teammates succeed on the court than he ever did. And so it was really cool because um, Kobe could appreciate how hard Cam worked and what kind of impact Cam made uh, on our on our team. And so that was really cool to see. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, certainly surprise, some surprise within there. I mean, like I said, I thought Phoenix would be in the mix, uh, but you just didn't know that they would, would take him at 11. Can I ask you one more question from my end that involves a hypothetical? Sure. 
<laughs> okay. I would like to hypothetically make you, Coach Brad Frederick, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns for next season. Uh, Mike and I on this podcast were super excited about Monty Williams, but we're going to throw him out for just a second. Uh, <laughs> if you were head coach of the Suns, how do you see yourself using Cam Johnson in the future? Is he more of a two uh, or a three? Uh, are you going to use him at the four in small ball lineups even? And, you know, I'm also curious going forward with the development strategy. Is this a guy you talked about, uh, you know, Roy Williams and the entire staff trying to mold him into more of a complete player? Is he a guy where you really want him to develop some ability to create for himself at the NBA level? Or are you going to focus on him a little bit more as that off ball shooter uh, role? Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> me personally, uh, I would first say that, uh, you know, I've had 20 years experience in college coaching and, and zero in the NBA. So um, I, <laughs> I can't speak to that as well. But I think I think the beauty of Cam is that you can play him as a three or a four and he can go back and forth between both positions uh, and be successful. So uh, two, you know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think he could play too offensively, defensively, you know, uh, garden guys, uh, that small might be a more of a challenge for him, but I certainly think he, he can be super successful as a three and a four. And I, I personally would continue to try to develop his game because, um, Cam doesn't need any help, uh, to stand in, in a spot and make threes. You know, I mean, Cam, Cam's got that part down and, um, so the rest is just gravy. If somebody continues to develop him, his game off the dribble, his ability to make plays for other people, um, I think you know. I think that's that's only going to improve his ability to, to to stay on the floor. Okay, coach. Before we let you go, I got to hear about your thoughts on the Tar Heels next season. Uh, how's it looking, and how do you feel? Are you excited? Yeah, we're super excited. Um, you know, it's a challenge every year for us to to reload, and certainly this past year uh, we lost uh, our top five scores, and so that's always scary. Uh, our today was our first day of class, and we had a meeting with the team, and we talked about that. I mean, we 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 lost our top five scores. We lost three first round draft picks. Um, we lost uh, an All American who was a second round or not even drafted, I guess, but going to the camp with uh, Luke May, going to the camp with the Bucks, and Kenny Williams, who was uh, super solid for us, who's going to go to training camp with the Spurs. And so losing five guys like that is scary. We do have a bunch of new guys. We got six new guys. Um, we have two grad transfers, and hopefully they can, they can have some success similar to Cam. Uh, we have some talented freshmen, certainly led by Cole Anthony, uh, who will be in the NBA before long. But um, it is going to be a challenge, you know, to to get all those guys going on the same page. I mean, last year's team had a little bit more experience in terms of we had Cam back, we had Luke back, we had Kenny Williams back, and and we only had to bl blend in three freshmen. And and so when you have six new guys, that's a lot. But um, certainly we're excited about it. We play a, a, another crazy tough schedule. Uh, the ACC is moving to 20 games this year. Um, we're actually opening with the first game of the year out of the box with Notre Dame as an ACC game uh, as they launch the ACC network. So that will be uh, put even more of a rush for us to get ready to go. But we're excited. Um, every year at Carolina, they expect you to be great. And Coach Williams has delivered that throughout his career. So uh, hopefully we can do it again this year. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us. This has been great. A lot of great insight uh, to Cam Johnson and, of course, the Tar Heels. Uh, maybe you can come back on next summer when we draft Cole Anthony. <laughs> you can tell us a little bit about yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, good luck before, next season. Before I go, I will also say that uh, super high on Ty Jerome. I know, uh, I know <laughs> people think that um, he passed the look test. But he's he's a killer, and uh, he was he was really hard for us to guard. He was hard for us to play against, and uh, so I, I know I know people don't think that you know athletically he's he's the best thing ever. But man, he is a great basketball player, and I think he's going to have a great career too. All right, all right, yeah. <laughs> I'll just end yeah. it there. Thank you so much, I Coach, for for joining us. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Five years ago. I lost in the high school playoffs, early in the playoffs. Um, I had not yet committed to college. I had no idea where I wanted to go. I had no idea where I was going to end up. And I remember I was just crying my eyes out after the game. And I was at home in my bedroom just crying. My mom walked into my bedroom. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't contain it. And she told me that I know it feels bad now and I know it hurts but there's a plan for you and nothing can get in the way of that and uh, five years later nobody thought I'd be in this position standing in front of you guys right now mom she, she texted me today before the game and said use this game to wash away some of the pain of that one. And mom, I just want to thank you because you couldn't have been more right and you said it at the time I needed it most. So thank you. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.